0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. We maintain the peace through our strength. Weakness only invites aggression. Trust, but verify. Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. America's best days are yet to come. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. This
1: is Reaganism, a podcast dedicated to exploring where the Reagan movement lives today. I'm Roger Ackheim, your host, director of the Ronald Reagan Institute in Washington, D.C. This episode of Reaganism is hosted by the Reagan Institute Director of the Center for Civics, Education and Opportunity, Dr. Janet Trant, and features a conversation with Elizabeth Pinkerton. At the time of this recording, Elizabeth serves as the director of the President's Commission on White House Fellowships for the Trump Administration. Before service in the Trump administration, she's had a wide array of experiences in government and business, including service as the deputy director of personnel for the 2016-2017 presidential transition, as a principal at Roslyn Partners, and a special assistant to President George W. Bush, as well as a number of other positions. Elizabeth and Janet discuss the importance of public service and how the White House Fellows Program brings talented young adults with little political experience into government to improve the country. If you enjoy the conversation, Remember to subscribe to Reaganism wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for listening.
2: Hello and welcome to Reaganism. I'm Janet Tran, the director of the Center for Civics, Education and Opportunity at the Ronald Reagan Institute. And I'm your guest host today. Uh, we have the privilege of hosting someone who really embodies the values of the Reagan Institute, Elizabeth Pinkerton, the director of uh, the Commission on White House Fellowships here with us today. So welcome, Elizabeth. I we talk a lot about uh, the White House Fellowships, which is a uh, program that, that cross-pollinates uh, with the work that we do. But before we do that, you know, I really want to talk about something that's really important in our center, which is... Uh, Just sort of this leadership journey and the concept of a a trajectory or nonlinear path uh, to to the career of service that you've led. Um, To recap a little bit of your career, you've worked at the the Department of Commerce as a special assistant to President George W. Bush, uh, Director of Personnel with Presidential Transitions, and now here at the Commission on White House Fellowship. So I wanna go back in time a little bit on your journey and um, have you share for folks who may not know more about your path, how you got here, and, and maybe what are some of those formative steps that led you to your current role?
0: Right, well, thanks again for having me, Janet. It's an honor to be with you all and have so enjoyed the opportunity to get to know you and work with uh, your program. It's, it's an important program, so thanks for have, having me today. Uh, I am uh, from South Carolina originally, as you might be able to detect from my accent, but uh, had the opportunity to work as a page or an intern in the South Carolina State Legislature when I was in college, and from there got involved uh, in uh, Governor Carol Campbell's campaign and and found him to be a very, uh, he was a transformative leader for our state. Uh, and was He himself was uh, uh, involved with President Reagan's campaign, but um, led the state through a major economic development phase and helped the state grow and recover from um, some economic distress. So he was a wonderful leader. And then from there, had the opportunity to work for uh, David Beasley, who was governor of South Carolina, following Governor Campbell. And one of the things I found most uh, just impressive about him was his uh, fearlessness in leadership. He took on uh, tough issues in his first term as governor, um, tackled important. There were divisive issues of whether or not there should be gambling in the state, online video poker. But the really important issue that he tackled head on uh, was the issue of having the Confederate flag over our state capitol and took that on uh headfirst uh it started you know many years ago and uh he was not reelected uh, it was a divisive issue unfortunately in our state but now thankfully that has been settled and uh he his journey has been really interesting too it's sort of a non-linear journey right so he was not reelected but today he serves as the director of the world food program for the united nations and just uh, last month, accepted the Nobel Peace Prize on behalf of the organization. So, just a great example of staying true to your principles, but uh, working with others to get good things done.
2: But what well, an incredible yeah, story so of, uh, of integrity over re-election. I think that's on top of mind for for many Americans today, as to you know how this uh, electoral process has incentivized uh, many of our our public servants to perhaps uh, not not have the ability or the wherewithal to, to put integrity above their re-election uh, prospects so that's a and that's a long journey too that was uh, many moons ago uh, when he he tackled this issue so not to say ahead of the time but uh, you know that that takes quite some time for a campaign or a movement to sort of uh, come to fruition so uh, thanks for sharing that I think uh, for our younger people out there they I think they would love to see that sort of example and I'm, I'm curious you know, you, you are at the governor's um, you know, office, you know, how, how did you know what was the next right step for you? And, um, you know, what catapulted you to, to come to DC? And, um, you know, were you planning on staying here for the long haul? Or, you know, what, uh, what made you take that next step? Gosh, well, I was really, really
0: fortunate to have uh, some very supportive colleagues in the governor's office who encouraged me to uh, accept a position Uh, there with the Speaker of the House, and that was a a wonderful opportunity, a great journey. I learned so much. Uh, But I got involved in, uh, I I was very impressed by President George W. Bush and really identified with his message of compassionate conservatism. And so spent a lot of time volunteering on his campaign in South Carolina, is in early primary state, so there was lots to do and uh, had the opportunity to um, come up to Washington and work on the inaugural committee. So when a president is elected, there's a a transition team that's set up, and there's also an inaugural team that's set up, and uh, they handle all the logistics for all the events in a non-COVID year, all the parades and the the, events that surround the inauguration, that celebration of our democracy. So I had an opportunity to take a vacation. I was going to come to D.C. for 30 days, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I'm still here. So uh, <laughs> that was in 2000, but had an opportunity to come in and serve in uh, President Bush's administration and worked at the Department of Commerce. And I think my experience with Governor Campbell early on Seeing how economic development can be so transformative, and then having that chance to work with governors worked in intergovernmental affairs, so was a liaison uh, for statewide elected officials and governors at the Commerce Department and then on at the White House after that. Great, so, um, so that was a great.
2: Yeah. You've already mentioned um, some, some well known and widely recognized leaders, and um, you know, I'm sure. In your journey, you traversed across some that, you know, their names might not be recognized. But um, you know, based on your experiences, what uh what character traits or what commonalities did you find um across these leaders or what did you hope to carry along with you as you uh, grew in your career?
0: Well, I you know, I remember they have very early memories of President Reagan and kangaroo Remember being early on in school. I'll say quite how early I was in school, but we were uh, watching the inauguration in the classroom, and I have a very vivid memory of of my teacher folding uh, the class to be quiet. They said, "She said Elizabeth's trying to listen." Um, but you know, I just found President Reagan to be such an inspiring leader. Um, to, it's so good at uh, giving a positive message to bring people together to do to do great things. So. I think he's very
2: inspiring. Well, uh, I think uh, you're you're speaking to the right audience here. Certainly, um, so <laughs> let's, let's fast forward just a little bit. Right now, your current role you're the re- director of the President's Commission on White House Fellowships. Um, this is for those who don't know one of the nation's premier programs for for leadership and public service. Um, you know where you get young uh, to support these young, inspiring leaders, and they come from all walks of life, um, all sort of sectors. And of course, we at the Reagan Institute get the privilege of, of bringing our leadership and the American presidency students uh, to sort of intermingle. And it's one of their favorite uh, experiences It always is uh, in their reflections, because um, these White House fellows, they're not, um, you know, like us. Uh, they have fewer gray hairs, perhaps, than we do. Um, they are, uh, they're so distinguished, so motivated. But you know, within grasp. And I think um, that that spirit of service still, um, you know, perhaps less jaded too, right? And I think that piece is so mm-hmm. inspiring to students who are about to embark on their professional career. But, um, you know, for our audience, let's just start at the beginning and uh, give an overview of the the history of the program and the significance of the uh, White House Fellows Program.
0: Well, thanks so much, Jia. And it's been a pleasure for our fellows to get to know your students as well. Uh, I think it's a a great opportunity for them to help sort of um, pay forward some of the mentorship that they've received throughout their careers. But our program is is really special, near and dear to my heart, of course. Uh, It started in 1964. Uh, President Johnson started the program uh, with his uh, health education and welfare secretary, John Gardner. And the idea was to bring in Uh, young and -and up-and-coming leaders into the government to let them see how it works, how it functions. You know, um, civics is such an important issue right now. Civic education is something I think that everyone is seeing the need for more of that, but to bring them in for a year and let them have the opportunity to work with senior senior leaders across the government and the cabinet agencies and departments in, in the White House, and then The idea is that they would take that knowledge and go back to their communities and and do great things. And we've had some wonderful fellows uh, from President Reagan's term. Um, uh, Secretary Elaine Chao has been just a phenomenal leader uh, and had a great distinguished career in in public service um, and others. But, um, you know, take that knowledge back to their communities and do great things. And, and that's really what our program is about. It is a non program. So fellows are not selected based on what their political ideology may be or not, but they are selected because they have a desire to come in and, and serve and learn and do good things for, for the country. And I think that's something that uh, hopefully we can see more of. I think there's plenty of opportunity for, for more programs like this.
2: Absolutely. And I've learned so much from, uh, you know, your fellows classes as well, just their, their showcasing of what, what they've learned about overlapping of programs and assumptions they had when they walked into a federal office and, you know, all the, uh, the changes that they um, thought needed to be made versus the ones they, they thought needed to be made afterwards. So I think it is, you know, to, to empower these leaders with an understanding of um, what public service at the federal level looks like is, is a very um, noble cause. I think, um, a monument in many ways to President Johnson, who spent so much time, right, uh, understanding and um, and leveraging how the system works. So I think these programs are monuments to presidents in their own right. Um, you know, President Johnson said something, and I'll I'll read it because I I'll misquote it. But um, he said, "I hope very much they will be able to say there once again was an era when the young men and women of America and their government belonged to each other." belonged to each other in fact and in spirit. And I wanna say, uh, you know, this quote stands out to me because recently you uh, you penned an op-ed on reinvesting in American leadership. And uh, you mentioned that there was a, uh, a need to sort of elevate the role of public service again. So I- I'm just curious, you know, you had some recommendations, but um, you know, what in addition to programs such as the White House fellowships do we need to do as a country to promote and elevate that trust, uh, that desperately needed trust in in public service and maybe to incentivize people um, to come to this role in good faith again? No, that's a great,
0: great question. Uh, There are so many things. So I think um, I had the great honor to co-author this, article with uh, Terry Babcock Loomish, who is the director of the Truman Scholars Program. So another great living memorial to a to a mm-hmm. former president. Um, and, um, you know, I think one of the things, civics education, as I mentioned earlier, is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, just more focus on that so that people can really understand how it actually works, how the system works. Uh, another tenant that we focus within the white house fellows that i have really put a lot of focus on and this is just more of an approach i guess to things is to try to think about things from the other person's perspective mm-hmm. i like to say where yeah where you stand depends on where you sit and the more you can put yourself in the other person's shoes and understand where they're coming from what their needs are you know what their hopes and dreams are you know the better um you know, we have a republic, it's, it's, uh, it's, our, our government is a republic, and the government is, is, is that, you know, it's our, it's our country, and so we need to do all we can to, to strengthen those, those, those institutions.
2: That's a, a really interesting, um, just observation that, you know, this program brings together people from, you know, very different sectors, um, I would say all partisan, not even bipartisan, because you're, you're selecting people, right, that- the caliber of their, Mm -hmm. of their service. And, um, you know, I'm curious as to, uh, what observations you might've seen of, you know, bringing people together and, uh, how they learn, uh, about other viewpoints and how that, you know, maybe improves or invests in leadership. I know we, we try to do this work with leadership in the American presidency at an early age. Um, but certainly, you know, people, adults become more, uh, steeped in their sort of beliefs and values. I'm curious as to, how those interactions play out at the White House fellowship
0: level. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, You know, one of the things that we talked about is, um, the classes have talked about, is being intentional and having an intentional, you know, attitude that we are going to sit down together and we know we're not going to agree on everything. We know we've come from different backgrounds. We have individuals who may have come from um, the Mississippi Delta, you know, who had didn't interact with military service members before. And so they, they got to know them and understand where the others come, came from. Um, people who come from, uh, you know, rural Midwest meet with somebody from the east or west coast. And, and kind of you, as you sit down and, and talk and have that intentional attitude that you're going to learn from each other, you start to see commonalities. Uh, if you can kind of I, I think you can start to see the commonalities and um, it takes effort. You know it's it's very easy to say something negative and let let that stick and just go with it. It takes it takes some effort, but but I think that intentionality is really important.
2: Absolutely. I think uh, it's easy to sort of spiral into the norm of what we already know. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's very comfortable to go back to uh, a group of people who, who reinforce your ideas and your thinking. So that's, um, but in many ways that is leadership, right? Uh, leading isn't just taking a, a bunch of people who believe everything you say and just, you know, all moving in the same step, right? It is that coalition right. building. And I think that's, um, the White House fellowships really promotes that spirit of, of bipartisanship and working across difference uh, because they, they not only have the difference of perhaps their upbringing and their beliefs, but they're working very different segments of, um, of uh, the government. And, you know, I think um, just to before we move on to other parts, I'd love to, for you to flush out some examples of uh, roles that your White House fellows play in our federal government, just to give people an idea of the diversity of experiences that they might have. Sure.
0: Yeah. So we have uh, one example is a, a fellow who came from Silicon Valley who worked in the tech industry and was placed at the Department of Labor and had the opportunity to develop a program for helping veterans find jobs. And so they created an actual grant program and that proposal is out now and has been launched Uh Fellows have worked, uh, had a law enforcement officer who worked at the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, or or what's now the Development Finance Corporation, but was able to uh, travel the world, really, and meet with governments uh, all across the world and help negotiate agreements uh, on behalf of the United States. Um, We've had fellows involved in COVID response, and that's just been so rewarding to see them really make some great contributions there. Um, One of the things I've been most excited about in the fellowship is to see them get into their placements and find a commonality in another department or agency to talk to another fellow and say, oh, wait, I'm working on that. Let's work together. Let's come together. And so we had uh, some fellows who did that uh, just last year around artificial intelligence. And so that was really, really exciting. A lot of opportunities to, to... they come to make a contribution, um, but uh, we, we reap the benefit. They may come to learn, but we actually get uh, the benefits of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love the uh, kind of uh, breaking down yeah. of silos. You know, anything as massive as a, as a federal government of a, a country as large as ours is, uh, is bound to be a little confusing, yes. especially for people who are, are new to it. But uh, if we're able to break down those yeah. silos yeah. and communicate uh, in more effective ways, I think we're, we're adding to public service in, in that capacity. Um, This is going to be a hard question because I'm sure you you've had many highlights. I'd love to just you know just running off the top of your head if there are any highlights uh, in in your term as director um, of the President's Commission on White House Fellowships. If there are any standout highlight moments that you'd like to share?
0: Oh goodness! Well, we have a closing ceremony each year, and that's a bit of a graduation, so that's always a highlight for me and. just to just to see them at the beginning of the year as they come in, uh, without a lot of experience in the government, and just to watch them grow throughout the year, uh, and to be a part of that leadership journey with them is just so rewarding. And uh, um, that's that's the highlight. I think that's probably one of the highlights for sure.
2: <laughs> Great. And uh, sorry, just one more thing. I just think it's uh, it's so critical because they're you know they're coming from these different sectors. And many of them, you know, they, many of them have been in public service, um, but many it's their first foray. So I'm curious as to, you know, how do we attract um, these individuals to say public service is, is a way to lead, is a way to give back? Um, many in, uh, you know, Gen Z and the millennial generation feel that uh, government service is not... Not necessarily the most effective way. So, so perhaps is there um, is there some messaging or experience in the White House fellowships that uh, that you can share or showcase that might incentivize people to say this is an option and service uh, in in government and uh, you know in you know serving the country in this capacity is actually a lever of change that's worth of pursuit.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's really challenging in this media environment today uh, and. I think our our fellows are often the best ambassadors of the program, and so that word of mouth is is really key uh, to hear from the individuals themselves. Um, I know our alums are always happy to talk to folks who are interested in the program uh, and and want to serve, but I think just 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 gotta keep at it. Uh, I, I'm looking for that that uh, silver bullet to kind of to pierce through uh, the 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 veil here, but I think just have to keep keep it going and uh, try to get the word out because it's definitely valuable and uh, I think there are people who want to come in and serve and I've heard this from more than one of our fellows that when they they get here they are like this is not what I've heard about this is there are people here who are who are working together who want to do with it's like what we're talking about today and it's it's interesting to see the sort of the the revelation that they they experience.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not a nine to five clock in clock out the what they envisioned regarding the bureaucracy right. were right. Yeah, uh, pretty, pretty mm-hmm. intensive and, um, and a lot of just a heartfelt work that uh, that affects a lot of lives so I think that's a, a piece that uh, we, we do need to do a better job of storytelling and I think the White House fellowships is, is one of the vehicles to do so so I'd love to transition um, to to something that uh, you have a lot of experience with which is uh, presidential transitions and we're a missed one right now um, you know it's on the top of mind of many Americans during this incredibly turbulent time um, and you have had experience in, in uh, two transitions teams one that actually did, make the full transition. And another uh, that, uh, that did not uh, quite make it, but the, the, I'd love to, uh, for the audience to understand uh, more of the intense preparation um, that should take place uh, when someone becomes a nominee and maybe share your first experience and then your, your second experience with the audience to, uh, to say what are some major lessons learned and what are some practices that you, you really think um, ought to be part of, of this preparation period, this uh, uh, interregnum period, if you will.
0: Sure, sure. So my I've been involved in transitions and at the gubernatorial level, and then in, in Washington, at, when I worked for President George W. Bush, was part of the effort to hand over to President Obama's team. So and there, I had the opportunity to meet with the in, my incoming counterparts and try to share as much as I could about, uh, you know, what they might, might, might encounter. Um, but it was a very orderly transition. And then I... Colleagues from the Bush administration were involved in the transition for president-elect, should he have been elected president-elect, Romney, uh, Senator Romney. Um, that transition was a little bit different. And so after, um, you viewers, listeners may recall that President uh, George W. Bush was elected and there was a recount issue. So that determination wasn't made until December. And then once that determination was made, there wasn't a real long, there wasn't a long time to get everybody up to speed. So um, we, unfortunately, as a nation, were faced with September 11th. And so Congress, in looking back, made the determination that we should start preparations for transition earlier and said that in uh, future years, um, following the nominating conventions, each president or nominees should start their transition. So President uh, Obama did not need to have a transition team. He was already in office. So the Romney team was able to start their transition uh, that summer. And so I was fortunate to be a part of that team and involved in the planning. And um, there was a lot of work, a lot of people involved in thinking through the logistics, thinking through the training that would need to take place, thinking through the, all the preparation. Um, there's, uh, there's books written about this. So it was sort of a, a textbook uh, textbook transition um, in many ways. And um, so that, that work is preserved for future generations to study. And then uh, I had an opportunity once again uh, I got a call asking if I would be willing to come in and help uh, on the Trump-Pence transition. And so I said, yes, I'd be happy to come in and try to help bring some good people into the government, bring some good people back in and was honored to serve in that. That was a little bit more uh, um, hectic or chaotic, if you want to say, but um, it was both more rewarding experiences
2: that's so fascinating just uh, especially the uh, the theoretical transition um period that you worked on which i think yeah. is um is as you said very um heralded as you know ready to go um should we be asked to serve and that's um that's such a uh, testament right to to the premise of public service is that you know, when called, um, I will serve. I'm, I'm curious if I'll be- go back a little bit from the, the transition mm-hmm. from uh, President George W. Bush to President Obama. You said you had the chance to meet with your counterpart. Um, I'm curious as to, you know, when that started, um, you know, how that took place, um, you know, what were some of the things you shared, whether mundane or uh, more uh, more intricate, um, you know, just a, maybe a little story or two from from that transition.
0: Sure, sure. Well. Um... Uh, that started after the election. I don't remember the dates of when we sat down, but I do recall going actually going over to the uh Obama transition office and sitting down with the some of the members of the incoming intergovernmental affairs team and just sharing them about what what was going to be on their plate. Uh, Governors obviously have an important role to play with uh, disaster response and preparedness. So we talked about that a little bit. We talked about the um, in February, the nation's governors typically come to Washington and the president will host the governors at the White House. So as you can imagine, if you come in on, on January 20th and you're in for just a few weeks and then you suddenly have the nation's governors coming to visit, there's a lot of preparation work that needs to go into that. So those were some of the things. That we we talked about just um, you know all the, the the issues of the day we were in the midst of a financial crisis uh, and so that was important just the the talk about how we communicated with states and stakeholders um, so those were kinds of the, the the issues that we talked about but you know just the, the really basic things that you know uh, you know <laughs> where's the library where's you know all these kinds of things how do you find documents. What do you, you know, how do you, how do you order office supplies? All these things are, 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 are part of it and um, something that I've been working with my team to prepare to transition for uh, the incoming team as well. And so we've got a, a great big binder of uh, all the logistics that are involved in our program for applications and new fellows. So eager to meet with them and hand that off as well.
2: So yeah, so you've been involved with uh, with so many in in different directions, and so what are yeah. what are what are the keys to a successful uh, presidential transition? Which I imagine would also translate to successful transitions and work in general. So what what are some of the keys in your in your vantage point?
0: You no, know, I think I think most most people who come into service come in to serve, and you know. Um, I think we want a lot of the same things and it's just a question of how you get there. So um, I think it's just that intentionality of uh, just you know, wanting to serve and do good for a country and make sure that all of our uh, leaders, or all of their teams have, are as well equipped as possible to handle whatever challenges may, may come their way. Um,
2: so that's kind of the attitude that I've approached it with. Great. So uh, we we're getting close to closing, but I do want to wrap up a little bit back to the White House Fellowship program to give you an opportunity to uh, to really um, showcase sort of what's happening there and uh, you know talk a little bit more about uh, maybe the future White House applicants, if you will. Um, you know, you've spoken a lot about intentionality, and I'd love for you to reflect on on a few things. Just uh, you know, first, you know, the program you know, is not the same as it was when uh, it first opened its doors in 64. And uh, I'd love for you to reflect on some of the changes and um, that have taken place. And maybe what are some hopes and aspirations that you have for the program um, as, you, as you transition uh, once again uh, to uh, the, the future of this program and what it looks like in the upcoming years?
0: Yeah, well, I, one thing that, that jumps out in the first class of White House fellows, there were no women in the class. And I'm told that uh, Lady Bird Johnson became involved and that quickly changed. So that's been exciting to see. I think you'll see over the years, um, there has been, at the beginning, military service members were not part of the program and today they are. If that number will ebb and flow over the years. Sometimes we'll have quite a few and then sometimes not as much. It just sort of depends on, you know, how it all shakes out and who applies, but um yeah I, i'm very hopeful for the program it is has uh, existed now through 10 presidents uh we are in our 55th class of white house fellows um, and it, the program exists by an executive order and so uh for it to continue through 10 presidents i think is, is a great a, a great testament to the program and the intent of it and i think that bodes well for the future of the program and hope that it'll continue um and if I could, I'll share a little quote from President Reagan, what he said uh, when he met with Secretary, then uh, Elaine Chow, now Secretary Chow's class, and I'll read this too, if I may, uh, I highly, I value highly as a vehicle for developing new leadership for the nation, as a source for fresh talent in the executive branch, and as a symbol for the kind of achievement we want to encourage and reward. And so, some of President Reagan thought about the fellowship.
2: Wonderful. So obviously, you've you've looked at a, a ton of qualified uh, resumes and applicants, and my favorite part is they become people once they arrive, right? And you get <laughs> to actually meet them yeah. and uh, learn more about uh, you know their their heart and their service. I think that's uh, the beauty of it, right? We we always look to the individual, not not necessarily what uh, they are on paper, but uh. You, you have an incoming class uh, at this point, and I think other people will be involved in the commission selecting as well. But you have some insight here as to as to how you uh, get a hold in into this program. So, what advice do you have to these young emerging leaders um, who may one day apply to uh, to become a White House Fellow?
0: Yeah, I think. Uh... One thing I always hear every year is people say, I read the resumes and there's no way I'll be selected. They will never choose me. Everyone who's been selected just about has said that. So you have to apply. If you don't apply, you'll never be selected. That's my first piece of advice. Uh, my next advice is to reach out to alums of the program uh, who may share a similar background. Uh, there may be you may be from the same area of the country. Uh, you have something in common. Alums are always happy to share their journeys and pay it forward. So um, don't don't be intimidated when you read a resume and say, "Oh, they'll never pick me." Don't do that. <laughs> you got to give it a try. Um, but I think you know if the the main things that, that the commission will be looking for is that that um, promise of future development as a leader uh, and the desire to give back. So I think those are are, are really two of the um, most important important characteristics that they're looking for.
2: That's that's great advice, and I think um, you know you've spoken a lot about um, intentionality the sort of the how, what we have in common, and of course something that's very near and dear to our hearts, the need for better civic learning and civic education um, you know, at the earlier years. So I'm curious as to, you know, you, reflecting back on your career, um, you know, and your sense of purpose. What what inspires you to keep serving? What um what keeps you going here uh, in in these purposes? And um you know what keeps you your engine uh, running uh, to to keep moving to the next next place in your your career.
0: You know it's it's that opportunity to serve. And I think over the past few years, uh, with the, all the ups and downs, to see you know I've watched the current class and watched how they have come together and have been so supportive and respectful of one another um they as i told them the other day you are proving it can be done don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it you can do it It, it, it's possible so it's challenging uh certainly in these times but it, it it is happening people are getting together and being supportive and uh you know doing good things for our country
2: and, of course, it can be done is one of the plaques that's uh, on President Reagan's desk, along with the, uh, the plaque that said, uh, I will uh, paraphrase, but uh, there's no limit to what a man can do if he doesn't mind uh, who gets the credit. So those two, two plaques are, uh, are part of his, his ethos. So on Reaganism, we <laughs> always like to uh, end with a, a question um, about President Reagan, and I'd love for you to tell us what is your favorite uh, speech of President Reagan's and why? Well,
0: my favorite quote is the one that you just referenced about not caring who you can get a lot done if you don't care who gets the credit. So that's my favorite Reagan quote, I have to say. Um, but I think that the, the challenger speech is one that sticks with me the most. I can remember uh, being in the in the lunchroom and, and seeing the expl- learning of explosion and then just seeing that 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 response and hearing his speech was so um it was, it, was, it was mournful, it was uh, consoling and, and inspiring at the same time. So I just thought that was such a, a really important speech to sort of help um, help the nation heal, help the families obviously heal and, and, and support the team around the Challenger mission, but also um, keep that hope uh, for, for what was still to come.
2: There's no doubt that the words of a president matter, and I think in that moment, um, the American people were very much looking, uh, looking to their leader to see, you know, what their, what their emotions were, and you know, to really reflect and to kind of wrap up uh, their feelings there. Um, so yeah, very a very powerful and poignant moment certainly for me as well. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us and and sharing not just only about the work of uh, the White House fellowships, but of your. Uh, very impressive career as well. And uh, thank you for all of your service. And I hope that many hear this and, uh, and reconsider uh, how they are going to spend um, their lives as well. So thanks for joining us on Reaganism.
0: Thanks so much, Janet. It's a real pleasure to be with you.